Good morning, everyone. Let's get started with a short survey. Seems to me that there are two kinds of people in the world. Let's assume that the time has come for summer vacation. One kind of person is the kind of person that we will call a planner. You plan out how far you're going to drive each day. You know where you're going to spend each night. You know exactly what you're going to do each day. You might even know exactly how many miles it is from point A to point B. And you might be the kind of person that says, this is our schedule and we shall not deviate from it. Our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And you stay on schedule. Another kind of person, let's call them wanderers. They just say to themselves, you know what? We're going to get in the car. We're just going to go. Who knows what we'll see? Who knows what adventures the road ahead has for us? We'll just drive and we'll stop when we get tired. And if we happen to see something like the world's largest ball of string, well, let's check that out. So here's my question to you. If you are what we'll call a planner, would you raise your left hand, please? Who among us are planners? Excellent. Who among us are wanderers? Okay. By the way, you do realize that there are other words for those, right? Another word for planners are people that are rational. And the word for people that are wanderers are oddballs. And I mean that with all love and all mercy. <laughs> I am the child of a planner. My father spent over 40 years of his life working for the Greyhound Bus Company. And as he wound his way into the management of the Greyhound Bus Company, he was responsible for schedules. In fact, my dad was the guy that determined that a bus would leave Pittsburgh at 8.17 a.m. and not at 9.05 a.m. And so I have had it drilled into me since I was a babe in arms. You make a schedule and you stick to it. And I've noticed something else about those that are planners and those that are wanderers. Planners, like myself, we value certainty. I mean, I, I want to know exactly where I'm going to spend the night when I'm on vacation. Uh, my wife Sharon and I are traveling out to Oregon later this summer to visit her side of the family, and I've already lined out exactly where we're going to go each night, where we're going to camp on the way there. We have campground reservations. I'm a planner because I like certainty. Now, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are wanderers, frankly, they're more comfortable with uncertainty. They're okay not knowing where they will lay their head at night on each night of their vacation. And by the way, that's fine. And for the record, all are welcome here at the Oak Crest family. Both planners and wanderers are all welcome. They all love lasagna. They'll all break lasagna together later this afternoon. And it's okay. But this idea of people that like certainty and people that don't like or that, 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 that dislike uncertainty, that's important. In fact, there's a psychologist named Mark Schaefer that wrote a book titled The Certainty of Uncertainty. And in his research, he finds that we humans tend to really value certainty, even those wanderers. Those of you that are wanderers are probably sitting in this auditorium today in roughly the same place where you sat last Sunday. Because Schaefer says that certainty is easier on the brain. Our brains just do better when there's certainty because it takes less brain power to do your living life thing when there is certainty. And so worship services here at Oak Crest are structured in a very certain kind of a way. You know typically when you walk through the doors here at this church family how the worship service is going to unfold. It's very certain. Sitting in the same spot each Sunday morning, it brings certainty. 
In fact, most of us tend to drive the exact same route to and from church, to and from work, because we value certainty. And that's okay until you experience a season of life when there is uncertainty. Like a good friend of my wife and I's, who, as he aged, experienced macular degeneration. And he was going blind. And the uncertainty in his life was significant. Many of us remember what the uncertainty was like when the pandemic hit recently. People were passing away, and we were plunged into an economy that was shut down, and we were wearing masks, and even the wow women had to meet in lawn chairs six feet apart at the park under the shade trees. A high uncertainty time. That was hard on people. Each year in the fall, when my new students come to campus, they experience high levels of uncertainty, and it's hard on them. Who will I room with? Will my roommate like me? Will I be successful in college? I'm taking a class from Brian Simmons. What is that like? That guy's crazy. And all of those things are situations of high uncertainty. Because the reality is, to live life is to experience seasons of uncertainty. So the question I have is really quite simple. How do you handle seasons of high uncertainty? Because if we're honest with one another, many of you today are in a season of uncertainty for all different kinds of reasons. And I can guarantee you that if you're not in a season of uncertainty today, you have been in the past or you will be in the future. And fortunately, our God, who made us and knows us, has some things to share with us about uncertainty. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you one person's experience as recorded in Scripture, dealing with seasons of uncertainty. Because I think that how this person handled her seasons of uncertainty can teach all of us a great deal about what we do when we encounter seasons of uncertainty. And so here are four scenes from the life of Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, that I think can tell us some things about uncertainty. So the first scene, of course, comes, as was read to you a few moments ago, early in Mary's account in the Gospels, when she is visited by the angel Gabriel. And you know the story well. The angel shows up and says, Greetings, you have been most favored, and proceeds to explain to Mary everything that's going to happen very shortly in her life. What I focus on, however, is in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. This is what Mary says in response to all that. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Now, all the usual questions like, how is that going to work? What it's going to be like? What will people think of me? How will this all unfold? She doesn't ask those questions other than a couple of brief ones. She simply says, I'm the Lord's servant. So there's a sense in which Mary is a bit of a wanderer. So the second scene from Mary's life comes just a little bit later on. It's in Luke chapter 2. You know the story well. There are shepherds in the fields, and they see this bright star and all that kind of stuff. And a bunch of shepherds show up there at the place where Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus are, which would have been rather uncomfortable, quite frankly, for Mary. I mean, I suspect that a group of wandering shepherds didn't show up at the hospital whenever your children were born, right? It would have been very odd for Mary. And a season of high uncertainty already is made even more uncertain. So the shepherds show up, and then in Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, here's what we read. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, Mary's just sort of taking all of this uncertainty in, and shepherds show up, and 
don't even have time to go into the wise men that show up and all that kind of stuff. But through the first two scenes, Mary appears to be navigating this season of uncertainty fairly well. Well, the third scene comes along a bit later in Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to do the prescribed religious rituals of the day. So they take Jesus to the temple to go through certain things that have to be done. And this character called Simeon, this character associated with the temple, shows up and approaches Mary and Joseph and says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Jesus' mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you came to Oak Crest with your new babe in arms and one of the shepherds came up to you and said, Hey, a sword will pierce your soul. Welcome to Oak Crest. This is uncertain. What mother wants to hear this said about her child? So for these young parents, for Mary and Joseph, in particular for Mary, this is a lot of uncertainty. And then finally, the fourth scene also comes from Luke chapter 2. A bit later on in Jesus' life, he and his family are in Jerusalem, and every parent's nightmare, the child wanders off, and you can't find the child, and perhaps you know the story well. They go searching for Jesus and can't find him. They finally track him down, and Jesus explains that he had to be out and about teaching about his father's business. But in verse 51 of Luke chapter 2, here's what the biblical record tells us. Then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to his parents, as he should be, but his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. Four scenes, Mary's life, a lot of uncertainty. And what I want to say about all this is that I think Mary is a lot like us. You see, like many of us, Mary in these scenes experiences a season of high uncertainty. Or to put it differently, Mary gets it. Now, her uncertainty might have been different than ours, but she is someone that, like us, understands and knows very intimately what it's like to be in a season of high uncertainty. It might not be macular degeneration. It might not be college students going off to school. It might not be whatever it is in your life that is a season of uncertainty, but she gets it. And because she gets it, that tells me that God gets it. What does Mary know? Well, she knows that God is doing something in her life, she knows that she has some kind of a role to play in whatever God is doing. And she knows that in this season of uncertainty, there's a mixture of pain and pleasure. And isn't that our story? Because my friend that experienced macular degeneration would tell you that in the midst of his uncertainty, he knew God was still doing something in his life. And he still is, in fact, now that he's completely blind and has a service animal that he uses every day. God is still doing something in his life. And I think that means that Mary is a lot like us. You might not know exactly how to navigate this season of uncertainty, but what you can know is that God is doing something. God is somewhere. There's something going on. It's just a period of uncertainty. In fact, I think it's fair to say that right now, a lot of us in this church family know exactly what that feels like. And like Mary, you could react in one of many ways. Mary never seems to complain about this. She ponders things. She treasures them in her heart. 
Mary could have been angry and perhaps bitter at God by saying, well, hold on a second, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for a sword to pierce my heart. I don't want to have to watch my child go through pain and suffering. But she didn't. Instead, with rock-solid faith, Mary presses on. You see, the big takeaway from what I want to say this morning, in particular to those of you that are in a season of high uncertainty, is quite simply this. Mary reminds us that God's people are called to accept seasons of uncertainty. As my students at the university say, it is what it is. (laughs) Which is not necessarily deeply theological, but I think it makes sense. You see, at every turn, just in these first four scenes of Mary's life, she responds with acceptance to her season of uncertainty. And you know, if you page through the Bible, or if you have your Bible on a device and you thumb your way through it, so many people we meet in the Bible, they do exactly what Mary does. They accept the season of uncertainty. Abram is called out of Ur to a faraway land he's never been to and will live there the rest of his life. That's uncertain. And he accepts it. Moses meets God in a burning bush and is sent to Pharaoh, way back to the land he came from where he's a wanted, if not despised, individual. And although God gives him his brother and some miraculous powers, he's not quite sure how it's going to work. Moses accepts a season of uncertainty. The Israelites are told to march around the walls of Jericho a certain number of times and blow a trumpet and see what happens. That they accept as a season of uncertainty. Do you want me to go on? There's a lot more where that came from. And the fact of the matter is, although none of these people are living in 2022, the season of uncertainty that they experience is really not all that different than your uncertainty. Because I get it, you're worried about your grandkids who aren't going to church. I get it, you're worried about the aging of your body. I get it, you're worried about caring for aging parents. I get it, you're worried about your memory is not quite what it used to be. And is that just natural aging? Is that dementia? What's going on here? I get it. I get it when you are so uncertain because you thought your job was secure, but now you're not. You think the COVID thing is over. Maybe it's not. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in situations of seasons of high uncertainty, and it's hard to accept that. But I remind you what Paul wrote to Christians that are not that different than us so long ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we live by faith, not by sight. Mary can't see the uncertainty. When Simeon says, hey, a sword is going to pierce your soul, she doesn't know what that means. She doesn't envision her son hanging on a cross, being spat upon and mocked. But what she knows is, she walks by faith not by sight. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in a season of high uncertainty, our God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. And it's easy for me to say that perhaps because I'm not walking the road you are walking, but I believe that biblically, all of these stories of Moses and the Israelites and Abram and Mary and so many others are recorded in part to give us encouragement. It's as if God wants to say to whomever is here this morning, I understand you are in a season of high uncertainty. 
So because you're just getting to know me, you don't know all of my story, but here's a, a snippet of it. Here's a scene from my life when I experienced a season of high uncertainty. In 1994, my wife and I moved to Portland, Oregon, so I could begin teaching at Cascade College, a branch of Oklahoma Christian University that took over what was then Columbia Christian College. When I interviewed for my job there, I said to them, if you hire me, the first thing I'll do is buy a house, and the second thing I'll do is buy a cemetery plot, because I want to stay here till the day I die. Well, they hired me. Then in 2009, the university closed its doors, like a pizza parlor going out of business. They just closed their doors. Now what? My kids are in junior high. I don't want to have to leave and uproot all of them. Oklahoma Christian had offered me an opportunity to come here and teach in 2009, but my wife and I said, you know, we want to keep our kids in Oregon. But here's the point. The other faculty members at that university, the staff members, all of us faced a season of uncertainty. A good friend of mine who was the dean of the college at that time, his name is Sean Jones, he said this to me one day at lunch. He said, Brian, God is doing something with this closure of the college even if we don't know what it is. And his words turned out to be true. Because you see, as all of us scattered at the closing of that college, some people that taught there became preachers at various congregations. Others of them took jobs as administrators at Christian schools. We were cast to the four winds. Some of them came to Oklahoma Christian and taught. And I can see to this day the fingerprints of good that are all over churches and people's lives because God was doing something in the lives of all of us who were experiencing a season of high uncertainty. And time out. I'm new here. I don't know the full history of the Oak Crest Church of Christ. I don't know this church family's story. But I know enough of it to know that you have experienced your own period of high uncertainty as a church family. And can we not all at least agree that God has been doing something with this church family in the midst of all of that? And can we not all agree that there is good and there is ministry and there is blessing and there is so much stuff that God has been doing throughout your period of high uncertainty? And this time of renewal that these shepherds have kicked off here at Oakcrest is an opportunity to say, we have been in a period of high uncertainty, but God has been faithful. We have been walking by faith and not by sight. And God be praised for all of that. So time in. I think that all of us here can understand a good deal of that. And so let me leave you by just asking a very simple question. What do you do in a season of high uncertainty? Because it's one thing for me to stand here and say, hey, you need to accept the season of high uncertainty. It's harder for you to hear me say that and think, great, Brian. Now what do I do? And I want to take you to England as a bit of the first pass at giving you some suggestions about that. You see, in 1940, in the fall of 1940, as the German army was sweeping its way across the European continent, they turned their eyes toward the island of Great Britain, and they began bombing, in particular, the city of London. And so each day, especially at the evening, Londoners would face bombs that fell from the sky from the German Luftwaffe a time of incredibly high uncertainty. In fact, many families put their kids on trains and sent them outside the city of London, not knowing if they would see their kids again. That's high uncertainty. In fact, by the way, trivia, if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis and you know of the Narnia Chronicles, 
It starts in part with that particular piece. Anyway, time in. Here's the fact. The British government at that time put together this program, and they put these signs up all around London that looked like this. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. What does Mary do in all four scenes of her life? An angel appears and says, your life is about to be turned upside down. She keeps calm and she carries on. What does Moses do? He keeps calm and he carries on. You see, part of the big answer to the question, well, what do I do in a season of uncertainty, is to say, you do what you've always done. And so my friend that experienced macular degeneration, just as he always did, went to church every Sunday morning. At first, he had a stick, then he had a guide dog. In fact, today, probably somewhere in Springdale, Arkansas, he's sitting in a worship service right now because that's what he does. You see, one of the things that Mary did is she clings to what is certain. I want to take you back to that passage in, in Luke chapter 1. We sang a moment ago a portion of this thing called the Magnificat. It's kind of a fancy term that refers to this song of praise that Mary offers up. One of the things that Mary does to keep calm and carry on is to cling to what she knows. So here are some words from this Magnificat that we sang together, rooted here in Luke chapter 1. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And she goes on and on and on. She clings to what she knows. She praises God. And hard as that is in seasons of uncertainty, I think what you have to do is cling to what is certain. And I know that because I am a survivor. I'm a survivor of the Tower of Terror. You see, there used to be a ride at Disneyland that looked like that, called the Tower of Terror. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world. Some people love roller coasters, some people hate them. I stand with those that are God's people and hate them. I don't like them. The Tower of Terror is this ride where they put you in this kind of elevator-like thing and they zoom you up about 150 stories into the heavens and then they drop you and they raise you and they drop you and they raise you and drop you, raise you, drop you. It is miserable. If you like that kind of a thing, I will pray for you fervently. And so every time I rode that ride, I would get strapped in and I would grab onto the seat because I knew that whatever happened, that wasn't going anywhere. That was my way, in a silly fashion, of clinging to what's important. Clinging to what I know. And is that really all that different than Mary clinging to the praise of God? Is that really all that different? Because although one is simply a piece of furniture, it's something that is proven over and over again to be reliable. God's word has proven over and over again to be reliable. The encouragement, exhortation of this church family has proven over and over again to be reliable. The prayers that God answers and has answered in your life has proven over and over again to be reliable. Cling, please, to what is certain. And so if you inevitably age and your memory starts to go or your grandkids seem to have gone off the rails a little bit or you are experiencing macular degeneration, you cling to what is certain. And the final thing I'll say to you as a suggestion for how you keep calm and carry on is to find someone to share your season of uncertainty. 
God put us in community for a reason. There's a passage here on the screen from Proverbs chapter 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. What do you think these women of works were doing when they met six feet apart in lawn chairs in the midst of a global pandemic? They were sharing with one another in a season of high uncertainty. What do you think my students do when they come to me and talk to me in my office and they say, Brian, I'm really struggling with my faith. I'm really struggling in my classes. I'm struggling to be a good role model for my roommate. I'm struggling with fill in the blank. They're trying to find someone, me, to share their season of uncertainty. What is Tyus doing? I'm sure eight days a week, but helping young people in this church family navigate seasons of high uncertainty. And so that takes me, last but not least, to the story of Ryan Scott. This is Ryan Scott. Ryan Scott received, there's a slide, I think it's got his picture, there it is. Ryan Scott received a heart transplant when he was four weeks old. His life was hard from the beginning. At age 12, his kidneys failed. At age 12, a bit later on, at age 15, he was diagnosed with cancer. Think about all the heartache this particular person saw before he turned 16 years old and could drive a car legally. That's Ryan Scott's story. But as you see from this particular slide, he's holding this big sign that says, God is bigger than any disease. He healed me. Ryan Scott went through all kinds of treatments for his cancer, and the cancer is in remission. And he attributed that to God, because Ryan Scott is a person of faith. And so when you face the uncertainty of kidney failure and cancer, and you come through that because of your faith and because of the community of people around him, it means something. Here's what Ryan Scott said about his journey. My advice to anyone who struggles with what I did or with what they have in their life is simply this. Keep your head up with a smile on your face every day and just know that God is with you through it all, with the power of God and his good people. You can make it through anything. The power of God and his good people. You can make it through anything. And so this morning... I don't know what you are experiencing, but I do wonder what uncertainty you need to accept in your life today. I'm wondering what you need to cling to that is certain. I'm wondering who you can put into your life from this church family that can walk beside you and maybe even carry you through a season of uncertainty. And I would suggest to you this morning that there is no better person for that than Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, in an odd way, with his omniscience, knew what was coming as he went to the cross, but he didn't know exactly what it would be like to be a human and experience that. And so this morning, we commemorate through the communion we take together someone who knows a bit about uncertainty and someone who very much wants to walk with you through that season of uncertainty. And so this church family here at Oakcrest has chosen to celebrate that communion in this manner. There are some tables here at the front. There are some in the back as well. In a few moments, we'll sing together. We'll have an opportunity to see some things on the screen that will prepare us to partake together as a church family, this communion that remembers the life, 
and in particular the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we'll take that together now as a church family.